I want to welcome all of our listeners, all of our listeners over radio station KKVV. You, many of you, have made it a habit, and we're glad for that. And I'm happy to tell you that we have, I know of at least one individual here today who has been very, very faithful and is now a part of our family as a result of listening to our radio broadcast. And we're glad that the gospel is being spread this way, and we're happy that you're listening wherever you are in your car, in your home, or walking along, and we know you're going to enjoy the music and the message which will follow. Today is Membership Stewardship Revival Day. It's a day when we are having an emphasis on giving. Somebody has said the water of life is free, but it costs for the plumbing and all the pipes to bring it to you and me. And that is true. So once in a while, we deal with the principles of stewardship in the Word of God, and today is such a day. And our speaker is my good friend and a good friend of this church, Dr. Harold Lee. Dr. Lee is the director of the Bradford Cleveland Brooks Institute, Leadership Institute in Huntsville, Alabama, located on the campus of Oakwood College. His resume is too long to recite in detail. Simply let me say he's a native of Ohio. He, after receiving his education, which concluded with Oakwood College at the baccalaureate level and later on his graduate program at McCormick, in Chicago, which gave him a doctorate in Christian leadership, has been vast and has well prepared him for what he now does. And that is, even after formal retirement, he is helping leadership conferences, conducting leadership seminars in the islands of the sea and all over the United States. Dr. Lee pastored many prestigious pulpits, including DuPont, in Washington, D.C., he was the pastor of Elder Brown, our first elder in his family, in the Oranges in New Jersey some time ago. In fact, it was Elder Brown who encouraged me to contact Elder Lee and to see that he would come. And I didn't need a lot of encouragement because I happen to know that this is one of his gifts. He exercised them as a fundraiser and PR man at Oakwood College for many years. Among other things, he was in stewardship directorship in the North American Division and the General Conference for a number of years. He was missionary down in Trinidad, Tobago area for a number of years and has lived a full life of ministry, perhaps the high note of his career as a servant of the church is his leadership as the president. I call him the Obama of the Columbia Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, the first black to hold that position. And that is the job from which he retired to become the consultant that he is today. He is married to a good friend of ours, Barbara. They have lovely children and grands. And we are just delighted that he would carve out time to give us this boost this weekend, last night, and today. I want to reiterate that right after we eat our fellowship meal, we're coming back here, and at 2.30, now, folk, please, you know, he's come all the way from the East Coast to help us, to be with us. Let's make sure we take advantage. 
His topic this afternoon will have to do with family finance. I'll let him break that down a little more for you, but it's all about how we budget, how we plan, how we give, and that's the emphasis of the hour. Dr. Lee, we're happy to have you with us. We know that you will consult and you will teach, but preach the word. We love preaching here at Abundant Life. And we long to hear God's voice speaking through you after our choir shall have given us another rendition. Can we give Pastor Lee a hearty amen? amen. Thank you. That's our welcome, sir. Test one, two, test one, two. Just want to introduce this stranger that you see coming up, visitor. This is our daughter, Shanae O'Bannon. She has uh, agreed to sing along with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. This song is in keeping with the day. Uh, you'll be asked to do some things, make some commitments, and, and stand and open your mouth unto the Lord. This song says, I open my mouth unto the Lord and I won't turn back on what I say, on what I say I will do. So keep your word unto the Lord. sound to see what the end's going to be i once was lost but now i'm found to see what the end's going to be i open my mouth unto the lord and i won't turn back i will go i shall go Stream. To see what the end's going to be. I open my 
I am full aware of what the scripture says when it is mentioned in the, in the commandments, thou shalt not covet. It is also written, covet the best gifts. And when I come before a congregation such as this, Dr. Rock, I am caused to reflect my pastoral days and I covet what's going on here. <laughs> and I have many good reasons to covet what I see here on this visit, as I observed on my first visit several months ago. And I do make comparisons from time to time as I visit from congregation to congregation across the United States of America and in other parts of the world. And what I have seen here and is evidenced in that survey that Dr. Minch, Dr. Rock mentioned and which you have participated in, and that is the high percentage of uh, participation that takes place on the part of you, the membership, as well as the visitorship. 62%, 62% of you are engaged in some form of ministry activity in the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. Do you know what the norm is? Most congregations, Adventists and other Christian congregations, if they can get as much as 10 and 20%, that's normative. 62% in retirement? When you plan to hang it all up, let me know. He says he's going to keep it to himself. And I talk about covetousness. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you again. Now then, I'm looking at this choir, and I just loved it, young people. I just loved it. Amen? I mean, is God, is God good? I mean, is he blessing? I mean, look at this talent. Aren't they beautiful? And what comes forth from them? A wellspring of joy. Joy. Amen. Amen. Now, young people, uh, I'm going to be speaking mainly from that screen. You're not going to be see, able to see it. You are free to float into the congregation if you like. So if you can hear and see. So don't bother me. Just move uh, as you will. It has been said by Dr. Rock, we plan to return here at 2.30. Now that doesn't give us a whole lot of time in terms of my, 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 my mini, mini approach. And that is we're going to get very well engaged in education as well as exegesis and uh, inspiration. That's what they call preaching. So I would bid you, I would ask you to hang on to your seats, tighten up your seat belts. God has something he wants to say in a very profound, profound way today in what has been termed as stewardship emphasis or revival revitalization on this day called Stewardship 
Stewardship Day at the Advent Abundant Life Adventist Church. I'm going to invite the elders if you would like to move out because I'll be asking you later on. So I would ask you just maybe you want to occupy down there. I'm going to take the full pulpit today. So Dr. Rock, you too are excused. <laughs> Again, thank you and the church board for the invitation to share with you today. Earlier this morning, during the interim period between Sabbath School and Divine Worship, those of you who are here received a copy of what I call a personal Bible study, a one-sheet document. And I've asked you to take that and complete it between you and God. This is a personal Bible study between you and the Holy Spirit, whom we believe that God will lead you and guide you as you listen to his voice. Others of you who were not here at that time, I do have some extra copies of this, and I'm going to ask the ushers and elders, some hands, you raise your hand if you did not get one of these. I want to make sure that you get that in your hand. I won't take time to walk you through it, but it's rather self-explanatory, and uh, you can do that uh, on your own. As I said, it's between you and God, once you have completed, there are four questions. You can fold that up and put it in your Bible and reflect on it from time to time as you come closer to understanding what God has to say to you in this very important area uh, called uh, financial stewardship today. I want to say just one quick word about this afternoon family finance seminar, I would invite you as families, husbands and wives and children, when you come into the sanctuary this afternoon at 2.30, I would invite you to sit together, which is going to be a family affair. I want to walk you through how you manage the finances that God has given to you as family or as individuals. If you're not married, then come as individuals. And I would also encourage, in a very strong way, those of you who are young people to come so that you can get an understanding uh, of what we are talking about or what the Bible has to say about managing your family uh, finances. So then, we must move along rather quickly. So as I said, please tighten your seat belts. Please now pray with me for God's presence and guidance. Father. Open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him and say, Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our salvation. How can we say thanks? Well, your word teaches us that we can do so in so, so many ways. And so as this message is presented today, dear Father, not only do we pray that you open our eyes, but open our ears. Help us to listen, because in times like these, we want to see Jesus. 
And we pray in his name. Amen. What time is it? What time is it? We are living in Earth's most momentous period. Historic. Historic times. Who would have thought it? Who dreamt it? But in more recent weeks, we note, and I clip this from a journal that I received. It's taken partly from the Constitution of the United States of America. Permit me this moment of reflection, glad congratulatory reflections for the country in which we live and for the actions it recently has taken. Notice what it says, ratify November 4, 2004, 2008, red, white, and blue America. What are we talking about here? Obama. <laughs> when I see this and, and follow it through with my own knowledge of American history, I say, what hath God wrought? Amen. Don't leave out the God factor here. Because when you factor in the human factor, we're really talking about what the Bible and theologians refer to as incarnational ministry. That means vertical between me, between the human family and God and the heavenly family and the horizontal family, that's us. God works with the human family in spite of our sinful condition. Can you say amen? amen. That's incarnation. That's what happened. Does that look good? Yeah. Does that make you feel good? Yeah. I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or independent. I don't care who you are. That ought to make you feel good, what God is doing. What God is doing. That's where I am. That's where I am. That's where I am, what God is doing. So then, let's see what Scripture has to tell us about what God is doing. The Audacity of the Word of God. I first encountered Barack Obama's book, The Audacity of Hope. One day I was waiting in the airport to catch an airplane. I picked it up and began to read. Mm, this is real interesting. Had no idea that he was really planning to run for the presidency of the United States. And so I read his book and I looked up the word audacity. That's boldness. That's real bold. Real bold for a black man to think that he could run and become the president of the United States, the leader of the free world. It's real bold. But now having read that, let me back up here and let's slow down. Let's put some balance here. What the scripture says? Come on, read this with me. It is better to trust in the... Whoa, whoa, whoa! Trust in whom? In whom? Than to put confidence in... That includes... Obama, that includes mama, that includes daddy, that includes me and you. But he doesn't stop there. The psalmist says, verse 9, together it is to do what? To do what? Than to what? Put confidence in balance, balance, balance. 
families, this is a time to really get it together. A part of my exhilaration and excitement over this, because I didn't think this was going to happen in my lifetime, but when it did happen, as it was happening, I brought my children and grandchildren together and I said, I want you to pause here and understand what's going on. Understand here what's going on. And I took them through a bit of history. And I brought them to understand, this happens in your day. I may not see the end of all of this, but I want you to understand what's going on here. The audacity of the blessed hope, that's where we are. The audacity of the blessed hope. We have this hope. And no matter what goes on on planet Earth, God has still got everything in his hands. Amen. The whole world is in his hands. It may look like it's out of control, but God's still in control. Can you say amen, church? That's where we are. But let's look at stewardship. What are we talking about here? Stewardship is a way of life in which we seek to do what? Manage, Manage well all we have been. It's a trust. And that trust includes time, talent, treasure, everything we have. And to use these gifts compassionately for the benefit of all God's creation. I was excited, Dr. Rock, when you mentioned your recent trip to Africa and you encountered these young people, this young man. That's what it's all about, finding somebody that you can relate to and share that which God has given to you with somebody else. Why? Psalm 24, together it says, the earth... That's God talking. It all belongs to him. The cattle upon a thousand hills, they're his. The gold, the silver, it's all his. Why? He's the creator. Go back to the beginning of the, of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that dwelt therein. And he rested on the Sabbath day. When you look at that which precedes that, everything that you see around you is a result of the product of the hand of God. Can you say amen? amen. So God in this whole exercise of giving it starts with creation. Creation is an expression of who God is, an expression of the love of God. Why did he do it? He loves us. He loves to create creatures, including the human family. Stewardship is an acknowledgement that it is he who has done what? And not we. And we are. I could really stop right there, you know. That says it all. That says it all. But let me just press it a little bit further. God is the source of all of life. We have been given resources to do what? Use. To use. We don't own anything. Absolutely nothing. We use them but we don't own them. So stewardship is a spiritual ministry. Stewardship is an attitude toward God. It's an attitude toward others. And it's an attitude toward things. 
Now this gets really rough in our culture, in our society, because we are in a consumer society. We are surrounded by things and good-looking, nice-looking, attractive things. They have a way of appealing to our eyes and our sense and our desires to achieve, to acquire, to have. What can God do to help us check that desire? Well, follow closely. Stewardship, I'm talking about stewardship. What is it? A faith obedience response to the grace of God manifested in whom? It is a response. It's a way of saying thank you and God's way of growing us to become or be stewards. For stewardship is for how many? Everybody. What does it do? It teaches people to manage all that is entrusted to them. Stewardship, therefore, is as comprehensive of life as life itself. I put it in these categories. It is the wise, responsible, and faithful use of God's entrusted gifts to us. Now, the Bible closes down in the book of Revelation with emphasis on the word faithful. Faithful. Every Christian expects to hear at the end of time, well done, thou good and faithful servant or steward. So God gives us gifts of creation. They could include the earth, time, talents, body, temple, and possessions. These are for our use. Gifts of redemption, the gospel, faith, grace, the church. Gifts of empowerment, spiritual gifts, mission, and ministries. Those are the three broad categories. So stewardship has many faces. It is more than material possessions, to be sure. It includes all the gifts that we received in trust, in trust from God. It is also true that people in the church pew are more sensitive about money than anything else. It is also true that Christians show little concern about other areas of stewardship until they get right on the issue of money. These gifts, therefore, are for the restoration of the image of the Lord Jesus in us. What is God trying to do when he entrusts us with these gifts? He's restoring in us the image of our maker that takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 before sin invades the human family. So Christian stewardship is faith in action. It is a faith response, I say, to the what kind of grace? The abundant grace. I don't know the history of how you all got to be called abundant life, Seventh-day Adventist Church, but it's a good term. The abundant grace. God has no shortage of supply. No shortage. Remember that text that I gave you and that study there? It says, I will open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it, his abundant grace. The word steward, what does that mean? Manager. 
A steward, therefore, is someone who manages something that belongs to another. In this case, everything belongs to whom, everybody? God. To whom, everybody? God. I'm going to keep pressing that because it's easy for us to forget. Because even in our culture, we start talking about, I own this. This is my house. This is my car. This is my wife. This is my husband. These are my children. Amen. Amen. Well, let's understand what we really mean here when we start using this me, my language. Everything belongs to God. So, in the early days, watch this now. The steward stood in close, what kind of relationship? Personal, Personal relationship with God or his master. The steward was entrusted or trusted to manage his Lord's affairs with intelligence. So this person is no dummy. This person, in his personal relationship, knows what he or she is doing. They've got good judgment, they're honest, and they're aggressive. Jesus said, Christians are servants. Paul said, Christians are stewards of the gospel. Whoa, let's pause there a minute. Stewards of the gospel. When I become a member of the family of God, God entrusts me with the gospel. It's not my gospel. You see, the gospel really, primarily, is not about me. The gospel is about God. It's what God has done. And what has God done? Well, not only has God created us, not only has he made us, but he gave his only begotten son to die for us. Uh, step back, think about that. If, I, if you were the only one, God loves you, God loved me so much that he gave Jesus Christ to die, to shed his blood, to bear the pain, the suffering for me, for you, but not only for, not only for you and for me, but for the world. Therefore, he says, whosoever, whosoever believeth shall have what kind of life? Not 10 days, 10 years, not 20, 50 years, 60, 70, 80 years, but eternal life. Peter, therefore, says we are stewards of what? The manifold grace of God. It's all about grace, beloved. And grace is what? Grace is the gift that God has provided in the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, not I, not you. He died on that cross for you and for me and for the whole world. So now, let me zero in on this whole concept of stewardship. I referred to it, according to this theologian, it's something like a bowl of jelly. What do you mean? Well, no matter where you pick it up, bowl of jelly, it tends to shake all over. Some people lay hold of stewardship at the point of a person's pocketbook. Then, money or financial resources 
are made its equivalent. That's not all bad. One, pardon me, on the one side, because at least it, that is money, makes stewardship concrete and tangible, enough so that we can sink our teeth into it. However, if we stop with money, we have seriously shortchanged what the Bible intends by the stewardship idea. But that is precisely the difficulty on the other side. The term stewardship can be made so broad, so inclusive, that at length it subsumes every element of life under its wing. And you can't really get your hands on it. So what do we do? We're going to short-term it to financial stewardship today. Remember, it includes everything, but we're going to focus in on it now. Focus. We will primarily focus on financial stewardship. We should remember, however, that biblical stewardship includes the management of all God's gifts to us. All right, here we go. We will not grasp the full implication of financial stewardship until we know what it means to surrender every part of our lives to God. But one of my favorite writers says, the idea of stewardship should have what kind of bearing? Make it practical. Make it practical. Break it down where people can really get their hands on it. How do we do that? Here we go. The question. How is it that I hear this of you? This is the Lord Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 16. And the question he raises, what of your stewardship? Have you during the past year robbed God in tithes and offerings? That's a question for every Christian to consider. Have you? Let's make it personal. Have you, in the past year, robbed God in tithes and offerings? Well, look at your barns. Now, I know you don't have barns. Or do you have barns out here? No barns. You don't? You've got garages. Wait a minute, you don't have barns, but you have garages. What's in your garage? Hello. The car can't get in. Hey, man. Uh, at your cellars. You have basements out here? No basements. But you have those little things in the back of the house. You know, you call them storage units? You have those, right? What's in it? So now, then ask yourself whether you have returned to the giver that which belongs to him, or is it stored up, non-use, you haven't touched it for years? Is it in that back shed somewhere? So the question, will you return to the Lord before this year with its burdens of record has passed into eternity? Question. Now notice this, when all the cases have all come to review before God, the question, what did they profess, is never asked. But what have they done? What have they done? I could push that a little further. What have they done with that which I have entrusted them with? Have they lived for themselves? 
or have they exercised in works of benevolence, in deeds of kindness, in love, preferring others before themselves and denying themselves that they might bless others? Questions. Money. I don't leave. Close the doors. I'm going to talk directly about money. Notice what my favorite author says. Quote, our money has not been given to us that we might honor and glorify ourselves. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Okay, if you say amen to that, here we go. As faithful stewards, we are to do what? For what? Now, notice, some think that only a portion of their means is the Lord's. Hmm, problem here. When they have set apart a portion for religious and charitable purposes, now let's put in there tithes and offerings. We do that, but no notice. They regard the remainder as what? To be used how? But this is what? This is what? So God is talking about money, all of it, we have responsibility for in terms of how we use it. All we possess is the Lord's and we are accountable to him for the use we make of it. Notice, in the use of, come on, your turn, your turn, it will be seen, whoa, read the rest of it. And so God says, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me herewith, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Who's the devourer? Now you see that we're talking again in this agricultural setting. But who's the devourer in our setting today? Well, let me give you a few ideas. You could probably think of others. You know, here you go with your nice, beautiful car or your SUV, and you're rolling down the road and you're just having fun. That thing is humming. You can't even hear the motor. And you're just rolling down the highway, and it gets away from you before you even think about it. And before you look around, there's red lights, the devourer. <laughs> Amen? And what happens to some of the Lord's money? That money could very well have been used in the Lord's purpose for saving somebody, but you forgot the devourer. Now God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Further, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, as I said, you can think of all kinds of examples where this would apply in our 
culture, in our situation, in our freezer, in our refrigerator, in our pantry. I said, we are so consumer oriented. We got these pantries, you know, they are so big, they're so deep. We got food stacked high and wide. And we purchased some of it not only months ago, but years ago. And the fact of the matter is, we're never going to use it. And don't let me get in the clothes closet. You know the clothes closet? Where we, you know, we subscribe to these four seasons. We got to have this set for spring. We got to have this set for summer. We got to have this set for fall. We got to have this set for winter. And lo and behold, before you look at it, the television is talking about a new style. And we got to have that. Am I, talking, am I telling the truth? Yes. I mean, come on. I'm just the messenger. Don't blame me. <laughs> just the messenger. I, 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 I get tempted in this same area as you too. Because, you know, I just love nice things. Yes. I love a nice car. But you know what I've discovered in my older age? That my little Toyota will get me there just as fast. <laughs> It's that nice Lincoln you're driving. And that frees up more money for me to advance the kingdom of God. Well, that's my personal testimony. In here, we are told that a blessing is given for a faithful disposition of our tithes. Tithing was a blessing to the Jews, else God would not have given it to them. So will it be a blessing to those who carry it out at the, to the end of time. Can you say amen? amen? You ever looked at the Jewish community today, wherever they are in the world? Not only the United States of America. Go, go to Wall Street. Okay, go to Washington, D.C. Go to the West Coast. Look who controls the economy in the American capitalistic system. Hello? Go to Europe. You'll find the same thing. Why? Because when you read the Old Testament and how God chose these people and how they responded to him, they became a blessing, an economic mindset. For they control much of the real estate and much of the other financial industries in the world. But through his blessing, he made their, their tents worth more to them than the entire mount without the blessings. But when they robbed God, in tithes and offerings, they were made to realize that they were not only robbing him, but they were robbing themselves, for he limited his blessings to them just in proportion as they limited their blessings to him. So, what we're looking at here is a system, a system of called tithes and offerings. This system of tithes and offerings, which you refer to in the Abundant Life Church as stewardship, amen, the offerings you refer to as stewardship, but it was intended to impress the minds of men with a great truth. And here it is, that God is the source of how many blessings? Amen. And to him, that to him, man's gratitude, man's what? Gratitude. For the gifts of his providence. The system of tithes and offerings, stewardship, as you say in your church, for God are an acknowledgement of his claim on us by what? 
and they also are an acknowledgement of his claim by. Because all our power is derived from Christ, these what? Are to flow from us to God. There are many who urge they cannot do more for God because they than they now do, but they do not give according to their ability, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. The Lord sometimes opens eyes blinded by selfishness by simply reducing their income to the amount they are willing to share. Whoop! Whoop! There's that devourer again. Self-inflicted. For unfaithfulness, self-inflicted. I sincerely believe that many people, many people lose their jobs because of their failure to respond to the way God has blessed them. God will do whatever he can to save us. And sometimes he will humble us. Especially when we're riding high. Living high. Oh, I wish I had time. And as my good friend Dr. Bradford says, I wish I had a praying church here. Horses are found dead in the field. Houses or barns are destroyed by fire. Crops fail. In many cases, God tests man with blessings, and if unfaithfulness is manifested in rendering to him the tithes and the offerings, his blessings are what, everybody? What's God trying to do? He's trying to cure us of selfishness and covetousness. That's what happens. So when these, quote, unfortunate things may happen in your life's experience, you need to draw back, sit down, get out on your knees and say, God, what happened here? What am I doing wrong? I think you'll come up with the answer. So why do we return tithes? We return tithes unto the Lord. Number one, it's God's reserve portion. He says, the first obligation, responsibility that you and I have is to recognize that he has reserved the first portion, the tithe. The word tithe simply means one-tenth. It's an Anglo-Saxon word. It simply means one-tenth. The first tenth, he says, I've reserved it. It's holy. It's like the Sabbath. Don't Bother with it. It's holy, sanctified, set apart, special use. It is not to be used to pay the rent. It isn't even to be used to buy food. It's a personal testimony to God's total ownership. In fact, it's a statement of trust in God. Okay? You ever notice U.S. currency has stamped on there, in God we trust? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Tell me another joke. But what's actually going on there, you see, 
When you put that thing out, that thing called money out before you, and you weigh it over against the decision, should I return the first tithe percent or 10% to God, or should I trust in God on this one hand, or when I look at that 10% and say, wow, I could do so much with that. Wow, let me hold on to that judgment. You're actually saying, if you decide to hold on to it, you're saying, I've got more trust in this than I have in him. I expected you to get quiet on that. But that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's a matter of trust. Can God trust me when he blesses me with money? Can he trust me? It's an outward expression of an inward attitude. When I return tithes, that's what's going on. It's a way to put God first into life. It's acknowledgement of his lordship and expression of dependence on him. It's a method of uh, giving while we are still alive. Why should we return tithes? Well, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. You go back to the Old Testament, particularly the book of Deuteronomy, you notice in the order of worship, look at your church bulletin. Well, you don't have time to look at it. I'll tell you what it says. You followed it this morning in the act of worship. It goes down before, listen to me carefully, before the congregation of God, the people of God are ready to receive the word of God in the sermon, they were required to lay their tithes and offerings on the altar. They weren't prepared to hear the word of God until they had performed that act of worship. Then, now hear ye, the word of the Lord. It's a test of gratitude. Faith, obedience, response to God's saving grace. God's plan for supporting the global mission of the church, a practical means of checking selfishness, acknowledgement of God as owner and possessor of all things, acknowledgement of God. I'll skip that one. We move along. We move right, cut out some of these. We should never forget, therefore, that we are placed on trial in this world to determine our fitness for the future life. Notice this now. None can follow. Read with me. Enter whose by the of therefore, therefore, God does what? How? What are those temporal possessions? Tithes and offerings. Money. They're temporal. I mean, God sent his message through Habakkuk said, if you don't, if you're not faithful, this is as, I'll blow on it. That our use, there's that word again, may show whether we can be entrusted with eternal riches. And so the scripture says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with what? And if you do that, so shall thy and thy now, this scripture teaches that God, as the giver of our benefits, has a claim on all of them, that his claim should be our first consideration, and that a special what? A special blessing will tend all who honor this claim. Herein 
is set forth a principle that is seen in all of God's dealings with man. So now, let's talk about offerings. We've talked about why God asks us to return to tithe. Why does he ask us to return or give offerings, or what you call stewardship in your budget expression. We give offerings unto the Lord as, number one, a personal expression of gratitude. So I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you, Lord, for giving me time. Thank you, Lord, for the job that I have. Thank you, Lord, for the ability that I have to express that job. Now that I receive the benefits of my giving time and my talent to this corporation, whether it's AT&T or IBM or wherever it is that you labor, now you express that gratitude by returning unto the Lord not only time, but offerings. And you therefore illustrate that you love God, that you're willing to make a sacrifice, that you're practicing self-denial. It helps you rid the soul of selfishness and covetousness. It's a guide to economy and thrift. It helps you regulate spending and saving, pay for the mission and ministries of your church. Therefore give, and it shall be given unto you. Come on, read this one. Good. Press, shaken, running, shall men give unto your, for with the same measure that ye meet with all shall be measured to you. For it is, Jesus said, more to what? 